You're listening a Marcus Sahaba online radio podcast. نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته and welcome the program is Fiqh according to the four schools of thought and our guest is Mufti Abdul Qadir Hussein who we welcome to the show right now Mufti Sahab السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته وعليكم السلام ورحمة الله وبركاته جزاك الله خير نافذ إبراهيم موسى بارك الله فيكم Shukran for being with us, Mufti Saab, to answer all our questions this afternoon relating to the Islamic Penal Code. Very interesting discussion, and it comes up many a time in contemporary discussions relating to Islam and the Sharia. Mufti Saab, firstly, the terminology that we need to get in order, the first being hudud. What is hudud? All praise is due to Almighty Allah, the sustainer, nourisher, and cherisher of this universe. Peace, blessings, and salutations be upon our beloved master and leader, Nabi Muhammad Mustafa Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. First and foremost, we need to understand in Islam, the Sharia, the legislator is only, only Almighty Allah Azza even Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa is not the legislator. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa implements the laws which Almighty Allah has sanctioned. So that's the first point we should know. Second point we should know is Islamic law will always take into consideration the fitra and the nature of people. Every one of us has our good points and strong points and we have our weaknesses as well. So society must benefit from the laws of Islam. So that is what Islam looks at. Now when we come to hudud, let us analyze the word had. Had will mean a boundary and hudud the boundaries. So these laws are declared and sanctioned by Almighty Allah Azza wa Jalla himself, enshrined in a noble Qur'an, or mentioned in the ahadith of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi which is also wahi and revelation, وَمَا يَنْتِقُوَنِ الْهَوَىٰ إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا وَحْوِ يُوحَىٰ as mentioned in Surah 53, so Surah Wan Najmi in the beginning, the first three, four, five verses, that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi does not speak of his own desires, it is but wahi and revelation that has been sent to Mustafa sallallahu alayhi Now the important point we need to understand here, hudud are for all times, all places, and not at particular time in particular places, wherever Muslims have the authority and the power to do so. And no government, no organization, no person has the right to abrogate or cancel it. Jazakallah khairan Mufti Sahib. Next word that needs um, to be understood is Qisas. What exactly is Qisas? When we study the Quran Kareem, we find Almighty Allah Jalla Wala teaches us, Ya Yulladheena Amanu Kutiba Alaykumul Qisasu Fil Qatla. Just to give you a distinction and a dichotomy between the two, we will say Hudud. Hudud are the rights of Almighty Allah over human being, so divine rights. And Qisas, when we look at the lexicon, the dictionary, we see it means mumathala, it means equity, equality, justice, all that. 
So when a person perpetrates premeditated murder, then qisas will take place, a life for a life, capital punishment. And this is what Quran Karim sanctions and encourages as well. Now the point is, when you speak in today's contemporary world, so people frown upon it. You see South Africa, other countries. They say you kill one person. Now why must another person die? So all Allah answers that very question. وَلَكُمْ فِي الْقِصَاصِ hayat. In Qisas, capital punishment, you have a life. So what does it mean you have life? You kill the murderer, remember no one in the society or majority of the society will know that no, I must not perpetrate such a crime. It will act as a deterrent for them. Ya ulil albab, O people of intelligence. So it's a sign of intelligence to have the capital punishment. So Almighty Allah is teaching us all these terms. And today we can see there's not one country in the world that where the prison population is not increasing where they have abolished the capital punishment and so forth. So any man-made system which replaces the divine system, remember, is a recipe for anarchy and chaos. So Kisas will be a civil matter, as we'll explain. Human being and human being, although the judge, the magistrate, will oversee and preside over the matter. But Hudud is such, it is directly divine law and the right of all Allah. People cannot forgive it. But in the case of Qisas, there are certain cases where the person can forgive the perpetrator of that murder and so forth. Another word, perhaps not as common as the first two, Ta'zir. What does Ta'zir mean? You know very well, Hafiz Ibn Musa, when you were doing hives, your ustad maybe gave you some hiding or disciplined you. Or when you were in school, then in our days, they used to give us six of the best. You know, I collected six of the best many times. So sometime our homework or uniform, our hair or whatever. So all that you call ta'azir. So the father tells his son or mother tells the daughter that you are grounded. No money for you. Uh, now you have to spend the weekend at home. Detention. So that is ta'azir. Today the police, they give fines. So that is ta'azir. So all this year punishments, whether it is in the form of a fine, or whether that fine, whether it's permissible or not, we can discuss it. But remember, the Hanbali scholar says permissible. The Hanafi scholar says not permissible. But the fact remains, the concept is there. Detention, or, you know, punishing people to do public work that they must go work in the gardens or go work in the fields or whatever you so or do some community work so all these type of things will fall under the purview or embed of ta'zir so these are punishments mufawwaz ila ra'yil qadi and it is at the discretion of the magistrate or the judge whatever he deems fit for that for that crime there our next question on this discussion on fiqh, where we are going through the Islamic Penal Code, Muftisab, what is the punishment for fornication? Now let us start with the hudud. Now take the examples. Surah 24, Surah Nur, verse 2. Therefore our mother Siddiqa Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu anha used to say, Allimu nisa'akum surat an-nur, teach your female surah nur. Sayyidina Umar radiallahu ta'ala wrote a letter to the people of Iraq and told them the same thing, teach your females, allimu nisakum surat an-nur, for these reasons. Now let us go to Surah Nur, chapter 24, verse 2. 
Azaniyatu wa zani. We the Ahlu Sunnah wal Jama'ah believe Azaniyatu wa zani. Azaniyah, the Alif Lam there is Ahadi. I don't want to make it too academic and so forth. But it means a fornicatress and a fornicator. A person who is not married. Because if it is a person is married, then it's adultery, it's a different punishment. So give both of them the punishment of a hundred lashes and it will be done in public. Don't show them compassion and mercy. Now who can meet out and carry out this punishment? Only the governments, people who have authority. Not I just catch anybody and give him punishment and say, no, I don't have that wilayat and that authority. So therefore we need to understand. Yeah, about four discussions quickly. Number one, how will it be proven that that person is guilty of fornication? There's only two ways. Number one, iqrar. He or she come and they say their conscience did not allow them. They say, I committed this crime. Tahirni, ya Rasulullah. How the Sahaba came and said, ya Rasulullah, purify me. So that is iqrar, confession of the crime. Second way I will be proven, you have four male witnesses. They didn't see it on a video. They didn't see it on a camera. They are eyewitnesses. ABC male, XYZ female were involved in the act of fornication and they were eyewitnesses and each one of them give the same story. Then these parties here will be found guilty. So Islam brought about strict laws. For male witnesses. Why? Because Islam does not want, there must be mistakes. Islam does not want, (coughs) it must be based on circumstantial evidence and so forth. So all these are issues. Idra'ul hudud mastata'atum. Nabi alayhi salam said, drive away the hudud as far as possible. So where the element of doubt comes, the hudud, the punishment will fall away. There will be other punishments, but not this punishment. Next one will be, now the West and apologetic among the Muslims will say, but how can you give 100 lashes, it's barbaric and so forth. If you don't give this punishment, your system, man-made, is failing. And once it fails, we see HIV, we see for the, we saw so many illegitimate children, and we see AIDS, we see all these calamities, disasters affecting society. Islam says, make few people an example, and the remainder of society will be totally protected. So that is the Islamic rationale, solve the problem from the root, not from the fruit. So that is where Islam differs with Western systems and Western ideologies. Jazakallah khair and Mufti Sab for the beautiful explanation. Uh, another f- form of punishment that is quite related to that of fornication, though different, is the punishment for adultery. What is the punishment according to Sharia? Regarding fornication, one point I need to add, is it only a hundred lashes? No. According to the Shafi's, Hanbali's, وَتَغْرِيبُ am. Taghribu Am, that person will be expelled and driven away from that town and city. Sometimes it could be a country also, a province, and for one year expulsion. Because he has committed such a crime of fornication, he's polluted that place. Hence, he must be punished for one year expulsion. So that is majority ulama, this is part of the hudud. 
And if you want a reference of this, you open Bukhari, Muslim, Abu Dawood, all the hadith kitabs, almost you will find it. The Hanafis say the Taghribu Aam is dependent and upon the Radhaqazi. If he wants to implement it, he can implement it. If he doesn't want to implement it, it is negotiable. So that is the difference. Majority scholars say, no, it is not negotiable. It is part of the Hudud punishment and the penal code. It must be implemented. And Hanafis say it is negotiable. So remember, that's an important discussion as well. Now we come to adultery. ABC person committed zina, adultery, he or she is married. So in a case like that, what happens? Islam says no, now the death penalty will apply. And there are more than 53, 54 sahaba who have narrated the hadith of rajam. So rajam means that you pal the person to death, meaning the death penalty. And if you want a list of it, Hazrat Mufti Taki Usmani, in his takmila fatil mulhim, the commentary on Sahih Muslim, you will find he has listed all the sahabas in which different compilations of the hadith. The Ahlu Sunnah wal Jama'ah are unanimous on this so therefore we don't accept any other opinion on this from munafikin and hypocrites or people who are apologetic now islam says you know what marital life is and now you went and commit a crime with someone else who's also married so therefore both parties must be killed and we purge our society from these things here look at democratic dispensations today Anywhere in the world, if two adults commit the crime of fornication or adultery, they say it is consenting adults, hence it's not a sin, it's not a crime. This is the Western system. You go to France today, you will find more illegitimate children than legitimate children. So remember, this modern human being has reached the pinnacle of science and technology and computers, but as far as the moral code goes, he has debased himself to the level of worse than animals because fornication permissible, adultery permissible, prostitution permissible, gay business permissible. So what is left of this human being? He has become Abdul Hawa. He has become the slave of his worms, fancies and desires. If we know even the basics of Arabic, you will know Hawa means to go down and down and down. So they have relegated themselves, as Quran says, They they are like animals, nay even worse. So that is why we must never be apologetic of our Islamic law. We will say, this is what Islam. Our complaint today is our Muslim countries, our Arab countries, all of them or 90% of them have abolished this. So that is the crime committed by the Ummah. Jazakallah khairul mufti sahab. Another um, evil that is plaguing society, even in our own country, is a serious problem, which is alcohol. What is the ruling in an Islamic state regarding punishment for alcohol? When it is proven, same thing there regarding adultery, how will it be proven ABC, XYZ person is guilty? The same. Either iqrar, a confession of guilt, or either for male witnesses. Regarding alcohol, khamar, look at the beauty of Quran and Sunnah, khamar. Why is it called khamar? Human being, one of the greatest bounties, favors which Allah has bestowed upon him or her is the intelligence and intellect. And when that person takes alcohol, al-khamru ma yukhamirul akla. 
it beclouds the mind, it covers the mind, it then that person loses intelligence, intellect, and we see how the person is a judge, the person is a politician, is a president, prime minister, but is drunk. Even the children will call him a donkey. Mean donkey is our term we use here in South Africa, that this person is an alcoholic or whatever you so it shows the beauty of Islam. Islam said, Mustafa sallallahu alayhi wa said, Al-Khamru Ummul Fawahish. Al-Khamru Ummul Khabais. It is a mother of all vices and all evil. But today you will see on 90% of the plains, 90% of the restaurants, 90% of the countries is absolutely normal. Muslim countries, Arab countries, you just exclude one, two countries, but 90%. So it is something which people thrive on and it is glorified in the media. You see the adverts and what and what goes on. So Islam says we must eliminate it totally. So 80 lashes will be given to a person found guilty. How will he be found guilty? Either he himself confesses or we have two males. In these type of crimes, women, shahadat and testimony is not acceptable. Two men must come who are upright and say that this person here willingly his akil balik, sane and mature. Children, they will not be this type of punishments. People who are insane, they will not be this type of punishments. Then that person will be given 80 lashes in public and that is again a deterrent. You take South Africa, in every province you just make 10 people example, half your problems will be solved. But their problem is the politicians and drivers are drinking the most. So what do you expect then? So we must remember we have election season and we have Alibaba and the 40 thieves going on. So the point here is this, that you know what happens in this type of things. So Islam is a religion that protects the intelligence, protects the honor, protects the uh, wealth, protects, you know, sarika, when people steal then you cut the hand, amputate the hand. So life is sacred, so Islam has tisas. Wealth is sacred, so Islam has amputation of hand. Same, two male witnesses. That third one, intelligence is sacred, so Islam has the law against alcohol. And what else? Honor is sacred. If someone comes and attacks your honor and says that you committed zina, fornication, adultery, and he cannot produce four male witnesses, so give them 80 lashes. So it shows that Islam is there to protect the society, and that is why we have this type of laws. So that is the beauty of Islam. One point I want to ADM. See, the word is used, khamar. that is the nas, that is the divine text. Now we have the scourge of drugs. Mandrax and Daha and I don't know, cocaine and what and what all this, you all know better than me. So we have this, so now we use Kya's analogy. What is the rationale? Why is Khamar haram? Because of Iskar, because it intoxicates. So when we take drugs, it intoxicates, so the same punishment will come there as well. So 80 lashes, that is the beauty of Islam. The loving religion for all times, all places, you go to the fuqaha, they will take out the illa, the rationale, and apply it to new situations which are not clearly, explicitly mentioned in Quran and Sunnah. So, Muftasab, you, as you've explained, um, alcohol and, and drugs have a similar punishment. Is there ever a case when uh, one could mete out the death, uh, the, the death penalty for drugs? 
You know that, for example, in certain Muslim countries, for example, Saudi Arabia and I think even Malaysia or one to other countries, they have what they call the death penalty for drugs. Now, from an Islamic perspective, is that permissible or not? Remember, it is permissible. If the ulama and the fuqaha, the jurors, therefore you need two people. To run an Islamic state, you need the fuqaha, you need the great jurors and scholars of Islam, and you need the umara, you need the amir. But those amir who want to implement Islam, not implement it because of votes and all these type of things, and a hidden agenda and ulterior motive, no. They say that this is the way forward. So the umara, the rulers, and the fuqaha. So they discuss this issue, and they say that in our country, we want the death penalty, and they reach ijma, as we will say. In that country, ijma will mean the consensus. So if they come to an agreement, and then the announcements are made, our country, any person caught with drugs, we are not speaking of people who are ill and sick. We are speaking of those people who are experimenting, people who are having fun and games and what have you, and becoming drug addicts and so forth. So for them, there will be the death penalty. Then, according to contemporary scholars and jurors, that will be permissible. Although we will not call it the hudud, we will call it a ta'azir punishment. You see now, again, the difference came about. Hudud is what all Mithya Allah has fixed and that or Nabi Sallallahu has fixed, 80 lashes. But sometimes the ulama can implement their own punishment and it could take the form of death, you know. For example, the Hanafis and them have a law that a person who's guilty of jadu, a person guilty of sorcery and magic, Fadrib who be safe, then kill him with a sword. So it shows that sometimes you can have punishments where death penalty will apply when the leaders and the fuqaha, after discussion, mutual discussion, they reach consensus and agreement, and then you implement it, it's fine. Jazakallah khairan muftis. To give us a bit more clarity on the term of qisas now, uh, any examples you can give us about qisas? The first thing I want to say of Kisas to put the apologetics mind at ease and those people who object on Islam and therefore I always say present Islam in its pristine purity without compromise and without being apologetic. Now when does Islam allow Kisas to come and become effective? In Islam we have different types of murder, homicide, whatever you want to call it. So we have Al-Qatlul Ahmad. Qatlul Ahmad is a person is sane, a person is mature. He took an instrument, a gun, AK-47, and he took his revolver, he took his whatever, .38 or whatever. And his intention was to kill ABC person. He found that person, he killed him. Now this is premeditated murder. So Islam will say, you the awliyaul maktul, you the heirs of that deceased person, you must take a decision. You have five options. Number one, qisas, a life for a life. Second option, you have diya, you can claim 100 camels or the value thereof. Third one, you make sulaha. You tell that person, fine, give us your car, give us your house, give us a certain amount of cash or whatever you, so that you come to a mutual amicable agreement. 
Fourth one is you tell the government that what they feel is the law, is a punishment. You know, some governments have. So fine, they can apply the ta'azir punishment and so forth. There they put him in jail five years, ten years, twenty years. Fifth one, you say, fine, you killed my brother. Now I leave this matter with Allah and I forgive you. So you must remember, these are the options. Now let's say, Allah forbid, somebody killed somebody's brother. Now we, the brothers who are alive, or sisters who are alive, they also will come in the picture and everyone. So when they all come in the picture and say, consensus has been reached amongst the A's. They want Qisas, life for a life. So fine. They will tell the court, the magistrate, the judge, that we as a family held Mashura, we reach consensus, we want death penalty. So the court will oversee it, and Islam does not allow for chaos, mayhem, anarchy. So then that person will be sent to the gallows and he will be shot or whatever, or killed with a sword. And that Hanafi said must be with a sword. La qawada illa be safe. So anyway, so that is the law. But if you have five A's, and four of them say death, and one of them say no, so remember the death penalty cannot be applied. Why? I quoted the hadith. So we don't work with majority and minority. Even if one of them says that no, I don't want death for my brother, that this person killed, rather we take the dia, the blood money, the hundred camels or value thereof, or we reach amicable agreement, or let the Qazi sentence the person, or let us forgive. So whatever option he gives, the death penalty will fall away. So it shows the justice of Islam. Now understand this. This is a vital and crucial point. Today the enemies of Islam say, these Muslims are crazy and so forth. One person is dead, now you want to kill that person based on revenge. Nay, it's not based on revenge. It is based on justice. Our religion is called deen. Inna deena in the light Islam. Allah says, every rakat, every salat we read, maliki yawmid deen. The day of justice. So when we tell the world today, we don't want no favors. We just want justice. That is our complaint to all organizations. We see blatant favoritism for non-Muslims against the Muslims. So that is what Islam totally eradicates. Islam says, no, there will be justice. And that is why the family the, or the victim's family, once there is consensus, then there can be life for life per capital punishment can take place. So another question to give us a bit more clarity on the third term that we discussed today, which is ta'zir. Any examples you could cite for us this afternoon about ta'zir? Very easy. When the school teacher tells that student there that you are detained for one hour or two hours, or the principal tells that person there that now you are expelled from the school or the madrasa, or, you know, corporal punishment in South Africa, other countries are banned now. Islam does not approve of that. Remember, you must use the stick. Don't remove the stick from them to teach them discipline, the hadith of Mustafa wasallam. It don't mean we must just use the stick and hit people blue and green, no. It means leave it there so that the fear is there to teach them some discipline. You can see our schools today and everything. What a circus it has been turned into. 
because the element of discipline and all that is removed. So there's no more respect for the teacher, for the principal, all these type of things. So therefore, the, one of the initial points I made, Islam studies and knows our fitrah, our nature. Once you remove that element, then remember it will be just anarchy, chaos and mayhem, as you see today. So that is the beauty of our Islamic law. And I challenge any country, any person, any politician, Take your blinkers off, juxtapose the Islamic system and your system and look at results and that is where we will judge whose law is better. Every man-made law which goes against Islam is jahiliyyah and Quran, Allah asks this question, Are they seeking the laws of jahiliyyah? So that is the beauty of Islam. Finally, Muftisab, the T word, uh, terrorism, it's a word that uh, is top, uh, top, top of list in the media lexicon, especially with reference to Islam. Is there any punishments um, that perhaps have been stipulated regarding terrorism? Almighty Allah speaks of it, but the terrorism we speak about and the terrorism the West or the non-Muslims speak about is totally different. The word is the same, but the connotation, the meaning is totally different. So when people are waging a war against Allah, against Nabi وسلم, they want to cause mischief, mayhem, terror on this earth, then Quran says, Ayyukatalu. So such people, if they killed, then you kill them. Oh, you sallabu, if they killed and they stole as well, then you crucify them that you kill them and hang their bodies up. And if they stole only, then you cut and amputate their right hand and their left leg. So this is the punishment for this type of thing. But we must remember that not this. You, today you steal my land, you steal my resources, you steal so many things of mine. When I fight back, you want to call me a terrorist? Remember, that is not terrorist. That is a mujahid. You can call him a freedom fighter or whatever. So your definition of terrorism can never apply to the mujahid and people who are fighting in Afghanistan or Iraq or Palestine or in Syria nowadays against the kafir alawi rajib. So these are clear examples where jihad and terrorism, we must draw the distinction and dichotomy between the two. And that concludes our discussion this afternoon on the Islamic Penal Code. This has been Al-Fiqhu ala al-Madhahib al-Arba'a, answering your questions about fiqh according to the four schools of thought. Jazakallah khairan for being part of this discussion. Any further questions, you could email to Mufti. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.